Truth Espresso, episode 62. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hey there, welcome to Truth Espresso. This is episode 62 of Truth Espresso. Wow, this is amazing. God surely is blessing the Truth Espresso podcast to allow us to discuss many different topics as they relate to Christianity, even economics. And, you know, I like to think that maybe some fringeness to Truth Espresso can allow it to attract some people who otherwise would like to find another podcast that wouldn't be as Christian based. And so that is why I like to cover some of these topics in Truth Espresso that are most likely not going to be covered to the depth that they are covered in Truth Espresso. And so. I hope you like depth, Truth Espresso listener, because that's what we intend to do wherever we go, whether we're talking about the nature of God, the Trinity, the Incarnation, the nature of Jesus Christ as both God and man, or economics, God forbid, as it relates to Christianity and the Bible. And how having knowledge of economics and even the history of economics or what is past as economics by those who are given the title economist and reverenced by the world as the experts, Christian, we have the obligation from God to try the spirits to see whether they be of God. Not just by those who would call themselves Christians, but we need to test what the experts tell us in those boring topics like economics. And I hope that economics can be a renewed interest for Christians. There is so much that ties into the Christian's attitude to the world. The way Christians should understand the cultural battles that go on. It's not just issues of culture. Culture ties in to economics. And so even understanding the nature of money or banking, or in the case of what we've been discussing in our recent episodes, the economist Paul Krugman and how he tries to explain his theories about how the economy needs to be managed. And as I have reiterated before, I don't think the economy needs to be managed by economists. The economy is managed by people because people are the economy and the economy is managed by ordinary people like us getting up in the morning, driving to work, doing our work faithfully, getting our paychecks, making the world go round and investors taking risks starting companies, inventing, creating products. That is how the economy runs. It doesn't need a babysitter, as 
Paul Krugman thinks. It doesn't need a fake alien invasion, as Paul Krugman thinks. It doesn't need a war to dig out of a depression. And the last episode, we talked a little bit about the blessings of destruction, or the so-called blessings of destruction, and we realize that there really are no blessings of destruction, so we are free as Christians not to be forced into a paradox. We can actually look at destruction for what it is. It is destruction, and war is not a boon to the economy. War does not have its silver lining in the whole scheme of things. Yes, war benefits some people, but it is at the expense of other people, and it is at the expense of the total wealth of the world. And so, the last episode, we start to get into questions about Christians and our perspective on war. And we asked the question, what are human beings? And we answered that with Genesis 9-6, that we are created in the image of God. And so, life for life, according to God's perfect law, if a human being intentionally kills another human being, commits an act of murder, the law says that that person, the murderer, should die. Why? Because humans are equal in their value and dignity. And so the price of death is death. And we ask the question, what causes wars? And the Apostle James explained that, that wars are always initiated based on someone's lust. It is always an evil reason. It is always sin that is a result of the fall that convinces someone to initiate aggression against someone else. And it is to satisfy the lusts that someone has and that they can expend the life of others to fulfill their own lusts. And we asked the question, when is war justified? It is only for self-defense. And we should not look for excuses to be put into a position of self-defense. We discuss that we shouldn't hope that a war happens because that is a wrong idea that there is some kind of blessing from the destruction of war. And Christians need to get that idea out of their minds. We also asked the question in the last episode, what is the mindset of war? And we talked about the destructiveness of collective thinking, that it ends up pitting group against group. And in the case of group versus group, you have your influencer, you have your leader that usually finds a reason to belittle people from other groups and desire to turn the hearts of the people under their leadership toward demeaning people from other groups and desiring to fight against them and believe that there's some justice or some good reason for doing so. And that we talked about that thinking in terms of individuals, individual life, and the family unit, that normally individualism and the family unit promotes peace and trade and synergy working together. 
but collectivism destroys the individual and destroys families. And the will of the leader usually fights against the other, the leader of another group and incites warfare. And so there's a form of brainwashing that happens from collectivism. But now this episode, continuing on with the questions of how Christians should look at war, we are going to ask our final two questions. And these are the questions that sometimes Christians who believe in sola scriptura and tota scriptura, that the entire word of God is true and profitable for doctrine, that we can find ourselves being a little embarrassed about some of the things we read, especially in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, as God commands the Israelites to conquer the Canaanites. And sometimes we have to battle the atheists because they will bring those against us and say that the blood is on our hands or that we have no right to promote morality because they think they could say that the battles in the Bible are immoral. And so now let us answer the really tough question. What about the wars that God actually commanded in the Bible? You see, the atheist likes to bring this up to the Christian. And so, Christians, we need to be able to give an answer to this. For example, let's think about Saul and the Amalekites. And the commandment was for Saul to destroy all of the Amalekites and destroy all their flocks and herds. And we see that Saul disobeyed God by sparing King Agog and the best of his flocks and herds. And he was judged, his kingdom was rent from him, as the prophet Samuel explained. Now, without a foundation for truth, we might look at that and say, Well, Christian, where's your excuse? Aren't you bloodthirsty? Because your own Bible says this. And what about the conquests of the cities of Ai and Jericho, where the Israelites, on the face of it, seem to be the aggressors? So let's make a few points here. Number one, God, as the ultimate source of right and wrong, the creator of humans, and the giver of life, always has a just reason. Let's think of, for example, Sodom and Gomorrah. So, why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? Why did God rain fire and brimstone down there and kill the people of that city? Well, it was because of the evil that they had done. And if the atheist would object to that, then we have to ask the question, according to what standard? Without an absolute standard of morality, how do we judge that what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah is evil or good? Point number two, we have no right to think ourselves in the place of God to enact vengeance. As Joseph's brothers had learned that their father had passed and they realized they thought to themselves that Joseph's father was the only influence over Joseph that was keeping him from enacting vengeance on them. 
And when Joseph's fathers died, his brothers feared because they had sold him into slavery. They made his life miserable. They had lied about his death to their father. And so they were afraid that Joseph was then going to turn on them. But in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19, it says, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? And so, Christian, we should ask ourselves the question, Is there a cause for war? Let's ask the question, Am I in the place of God? When God initiated war in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel, his chosen people, we need to recognize that we have no right to initiate aggression because we are not in the place of God. Only God has the credentials, the right to do that, the moral right, because when God initiates judgment on people, it is just and righteous because he is the one who has the authority over life and death. So we are not in the place of God. We have no right to presume the will of God, that we can just initiate, preemptively go to war, or look for an excuse for war. Point number three, we don't have the special revelation or the covenantal authority to enact revenge on God's behalf. Remember that Jesus came And that was the pinnacle of all history. And that Jesus is coming ultimately through his perfect and sinless life and then through his atoning death and through his resurrection, he brought forth the new covenant. And that the new covenant being made with the house of Judah and Israel and Gentiles by faith grafted in as the new covenant is different from the old covenant in the concept that the people of God are not defined by national boundaries. They are not defined by physical descent that God had always promised a remnant and that this remnant, the true Israel, was defined by having true faith. And as the gospel broke forth to the nations and Jews and Gentiles are now the people of God, those who have faith in Messiah, faith in Jesus Christ, faith in his atoning death and resurrection, faith in in the gospel, that this is the people of God. And at this side of eternity, the people of God assemble as churches. We do not assemble as some large national government. We do not assemble to wage war. Our gospel as the people of God today in the church, is to make disciples of all nations. And we do not have the covenantal authority and God has ceased special revelation. We do no longer have prophets from God. We no longer have the Urim and the Thummim. We no longer have God speaking to people audibly to tell them 
and make them instruments of enacting revenge against the sins of other people, of other nations. What did the Apostle Paul say in Romans chapter 12 and verses 18 through 21? He said, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him, and if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, Christians, if we are looking for an excuse for war, we're looking for some kind of bloodlust as an act of vengeance and righteous indignation against people whom we deem are worse sinners than we are. And yes, there can be. I'm not one to say that all sin is exactly equal in all aspects. No, a white lie has smaller consequences than theft and murder. So all sin is not equal in respect to scope and consequences. All sin is equal in that it breaks the law of God and makes us sinners and makes us guilty and worthy of the eternal vengeance of God, no doubt. But all sin is not equal in respect to scope and human consequences. But what is the Apostle Paul saying here? As much as it depends on us as Christians, live peaceably with all people. Do not bang the drums of war. Do not go looking for war. And God said, vengeance is mine. So there's the answer. We don't have the special revelation where God would use human instruments and tell them audibly or through the Urim and the Thummim or through appointed prophets that he's going to use them to enact punishment on other people. We don't have that today, so we have no excuse for preemptive war. And now before we conclude this episode with our last question to answer, let's play our podcast promo for this episode. And this will be Quest for Truth with Keith Heltsley and Nathan Caldwell. And I've got to tell you, as the host of Truth Espresso, I've got to like another podcast with the word truth in it. <laughs> Hello, this is Keith Helsley of Quest for Truth. And I'm Nathan Caldwell. Together, we talk about worldviews. Things that affect our pop culture today. We roleplay the viewpoints represented. We sift through some of the faulty logic in them. And compare them to what scripture says. Once a month, we dig into the Bible. Going through one book at a time. One verse or phrase at a time. Exposing the truth in Scripture. Truth Exposed. Hey, that sounds like a good name for a podcast. I like it. How about Explicit Truth? No. Hmm. How about Naked Truth? 
No, no, no. Check out Truth Exposed on the first week every month. You missed something, Keith? Our audio drama. As long as our protector players have all their parts in. And our lazy script department has the scripts ready. Um, isn't that you? Make that our hard-working script department. Watch for new audio dramas on the third week of the month. Quest for truth. Because if it's true... It's true inside the Bible, as well as outside the Bible. Check out life-truth.com. Wow, amen, guys. That commercial is awesome. I invite you, Truth Espresso listeners, to check out Quest for Truth. Keith and Nathan just have wonderful, lighthearted personalities. You know, I, I think I have a little bit to learn from them. I'm, I can sometimes come across as a little bit crusty, like a curmudgeon on truth espresso. So I think it's a little bit of a learning experience for me as I'm working on my own podcast here. So bear with me as I develop in truth espresso. But if you want truth from the word of God, from an uncompromising perspective, but from two cool, lighthearted guys, check out Quest for Truth with Keith Heltzley and Nathan Caldwell. And now final question is, how should we view our enemies now? As I mentioned earlier, the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, his disciples, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, or make disciples the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So, how do we view our enemies? Jesus said, If your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. And the Apostle Paul repeated that. We are to make disciples. We are to stop thinking of things in collectives like our nation and their nation or our ethnicity and their ethnicity. When it comes to the gospel The collective, as it were, are the saints. The collective, as it were, are those of us who believe the gospel and we want to get people to join this collective. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 47, You have heard that has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans or the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? And this is a very powerful thought because groupthink and collectivism is just that. It is 
saluting and loving those that love you. It is loving only those who are just like you and believing that other people are somehow less than human, less worthy of life, and that their lives are expendable, and that we can look for excuses for war. But Jesus says to love our enemies, and by extension, we love them the most when we treat them as someone who can be redeemed with the gospel. My friends, my Christian friends, how should we as Christians think about war? Are we ready to bang the drums of war? Are we ready to cast away the humanity of other people? That if an earthquake or a tsunami or a flood were to harm the citizens of the people of another nation, that we would sob crocodile tears and we would send relief to them. But once the leader of a collective utters the word war, that now their lives instantly are expendable. We don't think of them any longer as human beings created in the image of God. They're just enemies. They're subhuman, and they're not worthy of the gospel. Let me conclude with Psalm 120 and verse 2 and verses 6 through 7. The psalmist said, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. So what context are these lying lips and deceitful tongue? Well, if we look at verses 6 through 7, the psalmist says, My soul hath long dwelt with him that hated peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Christian, are you for war or are we for peace as much as it depends upon us? Let us seek peace where it can safely be found. Let us promote peace as much as peace depends on us. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.